Asserting God's Word to Hebrews chapter 11. This sermon we conclude our series through this book. So we read through the chapter in its entirety one last time. The text for this sermon will be the final nine verses of the chapter, verses 32 through 40. Due to the length of the text, I will not reread it, so I ask that you pay special attention to verses 32 through 40. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, in which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found, because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whether he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because... She judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, and heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, For he hath prepared for them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only 
begotten Son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. They were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured, as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, assaying to do, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down, after they were compassed about seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not, when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword, They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect.
Thus far we read the holy and inerrant word of God. May God add His blessing upon the reading of His holy scriptures. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the astounding statement made at the end of this chapter is that all of these heroes of faith listed out in Hebrews chapter 11, lacking you, are not perfect. Were it not recorded for us in the Word of God, we would say that that reeks of pride. To say that all of these Old Testament saints, with all that they had endured, and all of the mighty feats of faith that they had accomplished, to claim that they would be incomplete without you, I say almost reeks of pride. And yet that's the Word of God. That they without us should not be made perfect. In God's providence, this is an appropriate sermon to follow up on this morning's service. In this morning's service, God gave us to consider the beginning of life. As we saw an infant brought forward to receive the sacrament of holy baptism, as we heard from the Word of God about what it is to be new, to be a new creature in Christ. In tonight's service, we look not at the beginning, but at the ending. What is God directing? All things unto. We'll see that God has a plan. And that plan is to bring them home with Him. And so we consider the final nine verses of Hebrews chapter 11 under the theme, Believers Made Perfect. First, not without trials. Second, not without faith. Third, not without Christ. Beloved congregation, I trust that you know and I remind you of this fact that God has a plan for each and every one of you. It is an all-comprehensive plan. There is nothing that is outside of this plan. Whether you marry or remain single, whether you have children or the womb is closed. Even the Scriptures tell us the number of hairs upon your head are numbered according to this plan of God. With two different words, the inspired writer in the final verse of Hebrews chapter 11 speaks of this plan. The two words are provided and perfect. 
God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. That word provided means literally to see ahead of time. God saw ahead of time something better for us. Now we understand that when God sees something ahead of time, it's not as if God is merely anticipating that which is going to happen. It's not as if God were merely looking we're into a glass ball and from looking, peering into there, He can see ahead of time what is going to happen. But rather, the foreseeing of God is a causative foreknowledge. It's a a foreknowledge that causes something to happen. God is able to see ahead of time what is going to happen in your life because God knows. And He knows because God has planned what will happen in your life. And then God executes that plan. And that's why then the King James translates it as provided. Because as God's plan is implemented in your life, God is providing that which He has seen from before the foundations of the world for you. God has provided something better for you. And then the second word in that final verse that speaks of God's plan is that word perfect. That they without us should not be made perfect. And the word translated here as perfect comes from the Greek word telos. But some of you are familiar with it means goal or completion. It is that which all of history is being directed unto this telos or this goal. God's plan that He has for you and for me is not haphazard, but God's plan is intentional. And all of God's plan is directed unto that goal that He has for you. And that that word telos also brings about this idea of completion. That's God's plan for you, that you would be complete as He originally created man to be. Adam and Eve, placing them in the garden and giving unto them everything that they needed for their bodies as well as for their souls there within the garden. That's God's plan that you and that I and that every one of God's children would be complete. Physically, spiritually, emotionally complete as part of the body of Jesus Christ. He has a plan. Now, how is this plan executed? What comes out from these final verses of Hebrews chapter 11 is that the plan that God has for His children, the plan that He had for all of the Old Testament saints was a plan that included many trials. That's what comes out here and is emphasized in these final verses. 34, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. 35, women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, 
not accepting deliverance. And the writer goes on. He says at the outset here in the 32nd verse that the time would fail him to tell of Gideon and of Barak, of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets. And as the time would fail the writer to give a detailed account of the history of each one of these heroes of faith, so the time would fail us to be able to have an in-depth look at each one of these historical persons. And yet we may make some observations from these verses which teach us about the trials that God is pleased to have His people go through as part of His plan. Observe with me, first of all, from these verses that many of these saints struggled with doubt. They struggled with having the confidence that God would give unto them they stood in need of. Look just at verse 32. The time would fail me to tell of Gideon. Remember Gideon? He was called by the angel of the Lord to lead the Israelites into battle against the Midianites. But when the angel appeared unto Gideon, Gideon objected to this commission given him. He said, O my Lord, Wherewith, that is how, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Judges 6, verse 15. And so Gideon then struggling with not having the confidence that God would be with him, demanded of the Lord that he be given a sign that God would be with him. And so remember that was set outside the tent door. Gideon struggled. Barak. Time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak. Has a well-established reputation of being by nature a coward. Someone who would not go into battle against Sisera, captain of Jabin's army, except, he said, the prophetess Deborah. Go with me. Samson, a great strong man who was given the ability to stop the mouths of lions, who in his dying act reached out and grabbed the pillars of the home of the Philistines' worship, Samson struggled. And in a moment of weakness, gave in to the temptations of Delilah and revealed the secret of his strength. Yes, these are heroes of faith who rightly have a place in Hebrews chapter 11 forever recorded in the Word of God as those 
who are the cloud of witnesses, whom we are to look to as an example of godliness and piety and faithfulness and living. And yet, these people were not without their own doubts and without their own struggles. They were real human beings who had a real existence upon this earth and whose faith was really tested by God. God is not pleased to use men and women who are mighty of themselves for the furtherance and for the establishment of His kingdom. But instead, out of weakness, God makes strong. And out of a timid nature, God makes brave. What else? can we observe about the trials which were part of God's plan for these saints? Notice that for many of these heroes, they were persecuted. That was God's plan for them. Verse 34, they escaped the edge of the sword. Recall Elijah who escaped the edge of Jezebel's sword. Recall David, who escaped the edge of the sword in the hand of his own family members. First his father-in-law, Saul, and then his own son, Absalom. Consider with me that they were Tortured. Verse 35, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Tortured comes from the Greek word here, which is timpanzi, from which we receive the English word timpani. Think of the percussion, the drum. And there's the drummer beating on the timpani. That's the idea here of what happened to the Old Testament saints. They, as it were, were the drum. And there was a club in the hand of the enemies of the church. And they beat God's people. Others, according to verse 36 had trial, trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. These were extreme, horrific examples, deeds which were done to the people of God. Injustices as their liberties and as their rights were stripped from them, and as they were locked up in the prison cells of the earth. Women who had the unspeakable anguish of their children being torn from them, tortured, and then killed. Some of those women receiving their dead to life Again, they were persecuted for righteousness' 
sake. They could have escaped this persecution. All they had to do was recant their faith. But the text tells us, verse 35, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And then finally, observe with me that God's plan for them, including many trials, was oftentimes a lonely way. Verse 37, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. There is absolutely no question what was the view of the world to the people of God. But it was clear beyond a shadow of a doubt that the world hated the people of God. That the world had no place for this covenant Jewish nation. And that the world would do everything in their power to try to destroy, to wipe off the face of this earth, God's people, if it were possible. How lonely was their existence upon this earth. And who of us, beloved, cannot relate to these descriptions of what the patriarchs of the church went through? Who at times does not feel very lonely, wandering about as if there is no place for me on this earth? Who does not feel at times that they are persecuted, that the world has no respect for me, for us as a church, that the world imagines they would be better off without us. If right now we cannot presently relate to what these saints endured because God has given unto us a season of prosperity a season of riches, and a season of freedom from persecution, then the Bible informs us that there comes a day where God's church will experience precisely what these Old Testament saints endured. There is the abomination of desolation, the day when the, when the devil will come and seek to establish the anti-Christian kingdom He will exalt Himself as Lord and Himself sit in the temple of God and will persecute that church of God. If we do not presently endure it, it's coming. But why would God's plan include such horrific and extreme experiences? Not just for the Old Testament saints, but for you and for me. We must see the hand of God in these trials, must we not? 
See, otherwise the devil would work in us. And the devil would use these trials in our lives to pit us against God. To have us turn inward. To have us focus exclusively or mostly on ourselves. And then to conclude that our lot in life is so great and so grievous and nobody understands and nobody cares. And there's really no sanctifying purpose in all of these trials and troubles anyways. And so we do well to remember that these trials come according to God's hand. But, but why? Why if God has a plan, and if God's plan is so sovereign that He even has the hairs of my head numbered, why would God ordain that there be these cruel mockings and scourgings? That they be tortured like the drum in the percussion? Why would God ordain that? text tells us why. And it does in verse 39. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. And it's the final words in that verse that give unto us the explanation for why these Old Testament saints had to endure what they did because they received not the promise. That promise, you know what that promise is. It's that promise made unto Abraham. It's the promise that God would bless Abraham and that God would make a great nation out of Abraham. What's that promise? That promise is that God would give unto the descendants of Abraham a land, a great land, a rich land flowing with milk and with honey. It's the promise that they would be prosperous and that they would have peace within that land. What is that promise that God gives unto His saints? It's none other, beloved, than the covenant that God will be our God and that we will be His people. The promise is that Jesus Christ will come and that Jesus Christ will take us into that final and f- that final realization of the kingdom of God the promise of God is that we'll be taken to the glories of heaven where there will be no more sorrow and no more pain no more tears that roll down the cheeks and are counted by God himself no more sickness and no more sin That's ultimately God's promise. It's the heavenly Canaan. They looked, the Old Testament saints looked for that. They understood that the ultimate fulfillment of the promise was not earthly Canaan, but it was heaven. And they received not the promise. And so because they receive not this promise, that means then that for as long as they were on this earth, they were pilgrims and they were strangers. They were sinners who themselves had rebelled against the holy ordinance 
of God. And that's why God put trials in their lives. Because He loved them. Hebrews 12, verse 6, the next chapter, For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom He receiveth. It was because the Old Testament saints had within them that nature which was bent against God. It was because by nature they did not delight in the moral law, in the ceremonial laws, and the civil laws. It was because they were a stiff-necked people, obdurate in their will, that God sent into their lives these trials to chasten them. And through the fire of these trials, God was pleased to burn away, as it were, the wickedness that was found within them. It was a reminder as well, was it not, that this earth was not their home. That they were to seek a heavenly home. And what was true for them is true as well for us. Why does God's plan for you and for me include trials? Because He loves you. If He did not chasten you, He would not love you. Because He loves you. He sends correction in your life. And it hurts. And it's painful. But it's used by God for our sanctification. Not without trials, God worked, making these believers perfect. But not also without faith. We read of the faith that they had in the 39th verse. And these all, referring back to men and women listed in the previous verses, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith. That good report was a report that came from God Himself. Hebrews 11 is filled with examples of men and women who received this good report. This idea of a good report is mentioned at the beginning of the chapter as well at the end of the chapter Verse 2, Hebrews 11, verse 2, For by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. And then the second to last verse, And these all having obtained a good report through faith. The idea of a good report perhaps can be illustrated with that of a report card. As it were, God gives unto us the ability to see the markings, the grades, that He gave unto the Old Testament saints. Children receive report cards throughout the course of the year. Oftentimes, children are quite 
eager to see what others got on their report card. What grade did you get in this class? What grade did you get in that class? Well, here God, as it were, gives unto us the ability to see His report card of others. By faith they obtained a good report. God Himself gave unto these Old Testament saints the declaration that they were His children. And verse after verse speaks of this good report. Verse 4, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. The next verse, Enoch. Enoch was translated that he should not see death. Before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. The report that God gave unto these Old Testament saints was that even though they had rebelled against God, and even though they had slid again and again back into those same old sins of turning after other gods, turning after gods of silver and of gold, turning to the goddesses of sexual immorality, turning to the gods which would fulfill the desires, the base desires of the flesh, even though they had sinned against God repeatedly, yet God never cast away His children. But God gave unto them that good report. And what's amazing, beloved, is this. It's not just that we, thousands of years later, get to read this good report, get to see the report card as it were. But what's incredible and amazing is this is God gave unto these Old Testament saints to know the report that God gave unto them. It's not as if these Old Testament saints had to live all their life long wondering whether God approved of them or whether God disproved of them, whether God loved them or hated them whether God would judge them to be righteous or whether God would cast them away in the judgment day. Imagine how terrible that would be to have to live your existence wondering whether God approved of you or not. God gave unto them to know. Enoch had this testimony before he was translated that he pleased God. Faith. Faith is how they knew of God's report for them. It wasn't because they had some special or miraculous revelation of God to them. For most of these patriarchs, they lived normal lives on this earth. But faith. Faith gave them to know. And because of faith, they were then able to endure the trials that God had put in their pathway. Faith is the only explanation for why they did not accept deliverance 
from the edge of the sword. We mentioned earlier that many of these heroes of faith had personal struggles and personal weaknesses. They had doubts, insecurities, besetting sins that stuck in their flesh like a thorn. But it was not because of the greatness of their natural character that they are called the heroes of faith. But it is rather because God in His grace gave unto them that union with the coming Messiah that they were able to do exceeding abundantly above what they could ask or even think. It is because they were given faith, which is the victory that overcometh the world, according to 1 John chapter 5, that they were able to stop the mouths of lions, that out of weakness they were made strong, that through faith they subdued kingdoms. Lacking faith, beloved, these Old Testament patriarchs would not have been able to do But the Word of God informs us they did. Lacking faith, the harlot Rahab would remain a harlot and would have perished in that wicked city, Jericho. Lacking faith, Gideon would still be looking outside the door of his tent waiting for the moisture to come upon the fleece. Lacking faith, Barak would still be hiding behind the skirt of the woman, Deborah. But because of faith, these Old Testament saints were able to stand up in the day of adversity and to be warriors who fought against that threefold enemy. And so it is, beloved, for you and for me. Lacking faith, we are no different than the people of the world. We do not have by nature any supernatural abilities to persevere through the trials and tribulations of this earth. It is not because there is within us this latent power that of our own selves We can be strong and of our own selves we can grit our teeth and bear up under the heavy burdens that press down upon us. Lacking faith would be crushed. But with faith, God gives us the ability to press on. It says the patriarch Moses in the 27th verse, that he endured. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured. That's what faith does. It endures the trials that God sends to us in this earthly pilgrimage. Faith does not remove the trial. 
Faith does not make the trial any easier by nature. Faith does not take the sharp edge off of the hurt that is endured. But faith gives unto us the ability to press on. That's the idea of endurance. Pressing on in the day of adversity. And do not these trials reveal our faith. It's a happy occasion when one a young member of the church comes to the consistory and then before the congregation to make a public confession of their faith. The consistory and the congregation as well receives with great joy this confession and receives with open arms this member into the congregation as a full-fledged member of the church of Jesus Christ. But, beloved, there is a distinction between confessing one's faith and between having an enduring faith. And oftentimes it is the endurance of faith that reveals the true character of one's faith. Anybody can stand up and say, I believe. But will you believe when there is persecution? When there are trials of cruel mockings and scourgings? When you become the timpani and they take their clubs and beat you? That reveals faith. They would not have been made perfect without Christ. Where do we see Christ here in this text? Revealed to us most especially in the 40th verse, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Why? Why is it? that they without us would not be made perfect. Why is there something lacking that the Old Testament saints had? How would a proud man respond to that? A proud man would be inclined to say, well, because there's some worth and some value in me that they without me would be imperfect. And so when I get added to the picture, then they're perfect. That's oftentimes how professional athletes respond. Professional athletes demand that they get paid a high wage. If you don't give them a high wage, then they threaten to walk away from this team. And they say, this team is not going to be perfect without me. This team needs me. So either give me the high wage or I'll go find somewhere else to play. Is that the idea here, beloved? That there's some great value and worth in us so that they without us would not be made perfect? Do we have some bargaining power here as we stand before God? 
you know full well that that is not and cannot be the answer. But then why? Why is it that they without us would not be made perfect? The answer is given unto us in the first part of the verse. It is because God has provided some better thing for us. That's why they without us would not be made perfect because God has provided that better thing for us. And if God had not provided that better thing with us, then we would give, be able to add absolutely nothing unto the Old Testament saints. There is no other reason why we are able to make perfect Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Rahab, Gideon, and Barak would be just fine without you, except, except God has provided some better thing for you. And it's only because God has provided that better thing for you that they without you would not be made perfect. And so what is then this better thing that God has given unto you and by virtue of which they without you would not be made perfect? The better thing, beloved, is the covenant. The covenant of grace established on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And to be more precise according to the language of the book of Hebrews, the better thing really is the better covenant which is established with you on the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's the better thing that God has given unto you. The better covenant. The book of Hebrews uses oftentimes this word better and helps us understand what the better thing is. Hebrews 1, verse 4, Speaking of Jesus Christ being made so much better than the angels, as He hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. A few chapters later, Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7, verse 22. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better Testament. Covenant. A better covenant. And then the next chapter, Hebrews 8, verse 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. How amazing that God has given unto you that better covenant. Better, why? Better because you are able from this vantage point in history to look back upon the finished work of Jesus Christ and see with clarity the significance of the cross for you. 
better. Why? Because God has given unto you the whole canon of the Scriptures. The Old Testament saints had but a little bit of the revelation of God. You have the complete Word of God. Better covenant. Why? Because God has given unto you the Spirit of the crucified, resurrected, and ascended Jesus Christ, who bears witness with you that you are the sons and the daughters of God. A better covenant. How amazing and how profound is God's love for us that He has provided something better for us than what He gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God was by no means frugal or stingy in what He gave to the Old Testament saints. He gave Abel the ability to offer a more excellent sacrifice. He caused Enoch to be translated so that he should not see death, he gave Rahab grace, so that she perish not with them that believed not. And yet, in comparison to what God has given, had given to all of these Old Testament saints, God has something better for you. How we are left without any excuse as we stand before God. If the faith that God gave to the Old Testament saints was sufficient, how much more so is not the faith that God gives us in this better covenant? John Calvin writes, quote, A small spark of light led the Old Testament saints to heaven. When the sun of righteousness shines over us, with what pretense can we excuse ourselves if we still cleave to the earth? Because of the faith that was given unto these Old Testament saints, the world was not worthy of them. They were too noble, too pious, too godly. And so God took them off of this earth and brought them to heaven where they await us. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Our Father and our God in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy chastening love, for the trials which Thou dost put in our lives to carve out of us our wickedness, and to shape us 
so that we might resemble the image of Thy Son. He is the One upon whom the better covenant has been established. He is the One whom we love. And we plead, Father, send Him, and send Him quickly. Amen.